Hey guys, my name is Meredith. And for the last few weeks, we've been going through different Psalms. And today we are looking at Psalm 22. And so if you guys could take out your Bibles, take out your phones. If we are reading out of CSB today, so that is the version of the Bibles in front of your seat. So if you've got that, we're on page 482. So Psalm 22, for the choir director, according to the deer of the dawn, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, yet I have no rest. But you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you rescued them. They cried to you and were set free. They trusted in you and were not disgraced. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by people. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads. He relies on the Lord. Let him save him. Let the Lord rescue him, since he takes pleasure in him. It was you who brought me out of the womb, making me secure at my mother's breast. I was given over to you at birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. Don't be far from me because distress is near, and there's no one to help. Many bulls surround me, strong ones of Bashan encircle me. They open their mouths against me, lions mauling and roaring. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are disjointed. My heart is like wax, melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. A gang of evildoers has closed in on me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People look and stare at me. They divided my garments among themselves, and they cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far away. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. You answered me. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. All you descendants of Israel, revere him. For he has not despised or abhorred the torment of the oppressed. He did not hide his face from him, but listened when he cried to him for help. I will give praise in the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows before those who fear you. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All those who go down to the dust will kneel before him, even the one who cannot preserve his life. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. They will come and declare his righteousness. To a people yet to be born, they will declare what he has done. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Psalm 22. Now, you might not know this, but I'm about to tell you. This is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. So the Bible split up into the Old Testament and the New Testament, the Old Testament being everything written in anticipation or before the coming of Jesus, the New Testament written after Jesus' first advent, his coming into the world, his death, resurrection, and the Jesus movement that followed. So 
In the New Testament, the most quoted psalm, which is Jesus' songbook, so the psalms are songs, that poems that were written by the people of God, that God inspired through His Spirit and preserved for us so that we can have them today. They give us words to pray when we don't know how to pray, words to sing when we don't know quite what to sing. And they were Jesus' songs. So Jesus knew these songs in and out. That's important to understand. And so of all the psalms, this is the most quoted in the New Testament. Important to know. Important to know. Um, so before we dive into the psalm, I just want to pull just like a, a common experience phenomenon that we've probably all had, which is misunderstanding a song. Right, these are the songs of Jesus. Uh, these are the songs of the people of Israel. These are our songs. Sometimes we misunderstand songs. And I, I had this realization because, you know, every night I, when I'm putting down my son Owen, he's two years old. Is Owen still in here? Hey, Owen. Yeah, I didn't want to go to kids' church. Waiting for that new paint job, aren't you? Waiting for that new paint job before you go back to that kids' church. Smart. Smart kid. So every night I sing to you, don't I, Owen? And what do I sing? Rockabye Owen in the treetops. When the wind blows, the cradle will rock. When the cradle rocks, old Owen. Owen will sing. I, I get it wrong. Anyhow, down goes uh, Owen, cradle and all. And I sing that. And I was, I was thinking, am I misunderstanding this song? This song is dark. <laughs> like, and I was singing it. I was like, I must be misunderstanding this song. It, mu- it must be, so, I must be misquoting it or misunderstanding it. It must mean like, down goes cradle is really about cradle falls asleep just as Owen falls asleep and so I went and I did some research and I studied it and I realized I I wasn't singing it wrong it's a dark song (laughs) actually it is about cradles rocking in the wind and 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 it's written in uh the 18th century a time when you know mothers would take into the fields their babies and 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 swing them you know time up in a tree and sometimes the cradle would swing too hard and the baby would fall (laughs) okay so it's a dark song it's dark and uh, I don't know if I'll keep singing it. It puts him to sleep. Just the fear of it, maybe? Like, he's so scared that he's like, I better go to sleep before Dad keeps singing. Or maybe it's my voice is really bad, and he's like, this is too much. So it works, so I'll probably keep using it. But, <laughs> so I wasn't wrong about that one, but it got me doing some more research. Like, what other songs do I think I understand that actually are about something else? And so I, I found this article online and what's funny about this, I, I, I swear I didn't just pick all the songs from my generation. Um, I'm a little bit older than many of you, uh, and so some of these songs you might not know, so stick with me. We're going to play you little snippets of them. Um, and I realized, like, on this, like, top 20 most misunderstood songs, most of them are, for, like, songs I listened to in, like, middle school and high school, and I've, I, I had some epiphanies this week. I didn't know that's what that was about. So... I'm, I'm, just to get us in the mood here, I'm gonna, we're going to walk us down Dave's music memory lane, okay? And so the first song that was on this list of the most misunderstood song is a song called Closing Time by Semisonic. Josh Brewer, pl- play a clip just to bring it back for the people. It's a, it's a lot of alternative rock, just so you know. Are you playing that loud? I can't tell up here. Make sure it's loud because this is important. Closing time, open all the doors and let you out into the world. 
Okay, go ahead and cut it there. You go back, you can listen to it. Anyhow, it seemed to me that this song was about bars, clubs, pubs closing at the end of a long night and people needing to leave and go find their way and hopefully they found a friend to go with and new acquaintance. Sure, that's what it's about. But actually, upon further research, it turns out the lead singer of Semisonic had a daughter who was born prematurely. So this song is actually about her coming into the world early as the doors of life were open and she coming out into the world. Interesting. <laughs> but, but, but you listen to it and you're like, no, this is definitely about the bars closing. But then you learn a little bit more. You're like, oh, but it's also about this. Yeah, it's actually about both. And that's actually what you realize with a lot of songs. It's a, about more than one thing. And so it is about so, like, it's okay that for 20 years I've been thinking this song was about closing time at a bar and singing it as if I just had a happy night out. But then it's also good to, wow, this lead singer went through this experience of his daughter coming into the world way before expected and how it changes everything. So it's both and, and that's how most songs are. Upon one listening, you realize one thing, and then when further information is revealed, oh, it's also about something else, even something more profound. It's both. So the second song on this list is a song called Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. Shout out to East Buffalo, where the lead singer's from. Play that for the, for the people, Josh. Now picture me in my dorm room playing this in college. This is one of the, another one of those ones I used to play a lot. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? I'll give you anything to feel it coming till you wake up on your own. Okay, go ahead and pause it. I didn't know when I was playing the sermon how long I would let these songs go, but they're so good and they're so nostalgic for me. So... Slide by the Goo Goo Dolls. It seems to be a great love song if you listen through it. And I used to play it that way. <laughs> used to have my romantic interests in mind as I would play that song. And there's a few big choruses where I really get into it. And it kind of is a love song. But actually, if you get a little bit more information, it was written about the hypothetical situation of a teen pregnancy, an unwanted teen pregnancy, and the decision that this young couple has to make way too early in life about, should we keep this child? Or should we terminate the pregnancy? Intense. <laughs> Not what I was thinking as I was singing this song in my dorm room. But it's also about that, too. Third song on this list was a song called Semi-Charmed by Third Eye Blind. Play that for the people, Josh. If you know it, feel free to do 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 along with it. Okay, got it. It gets to the course, it says, living the semi-charmed kind of life. Me and my buddies used to call this the happy song. So if we were a little bit down, we'd say, put on the happy song. 
It's a happy song. Then you learn a little bit more about it. It's actually about addiction to speed and how addiction can ruin your relationships. And, and, and the, sing, the lead singer says, I wrote this song to say, if you get addicted to speed, it will ruin your relationship. Not what I thought it was about. Not as happy as I originally believed. Okay, you say, Dave, that's a lot of alternative rock. I didn't really listen to that station. If you're from this area, you're like, I was more of a Cube 93 person. Okay, let me give you another one, another favorite of mine. Might be more your speed. Go ahead and play this. Waterfalls by TLC. You know about waterfalls? Come on. <laughs> and if you're young and you don't know any of these, I got, I got one coming for you that's a little, bit, a little bit more up to date. Okay, here we go. This is a great song, though. Oh, a big intro here. I didn't know how to cut the intro, so we'll just, just rock. Just feel it. Let's go back to my middle school days. You guys know this one? Cut it. She goes on to say, listen to me. And it uh, seems like this is just some really good wisdom about hiking and finding the best uh, nature spots in town. Turns out, wrong again. This is actually about the AIDS and, uh, uh, epidemic that was happening uh, much early in our nation's history. And it's, it's a warning song. They wrote it to be a warning song against promiscuity, unprotected sex, etc. Hanging with the wrong crowd. Not what I thought. <laughs> Not what I thought when I first heard Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Interesting. Okay. Now for the up-to-date. Most of you will probably know this one. This is a song called Royal by Lord. I've never New seen Zealand. a diamond in the flesh. Feel free to snap. I cut my teeth on wedding rings in the movie. You know this one? This is pretty new. Not totally new. But <laughs> in a torn up town, no postcode envy. But every song's like gold teeth, gray goose tripping in the bathroom, bloodstains, ball gowns, stretching. Okay, cut it. <laughs> okay. There's kids in the room, my child in particular. Okay, so turns out. I don't even know what I thought this song was about. It was just fun to snap to. And uh, when you read about this song, it's not quite so dark. But actually, she, she said, so why is it called Royals? She said she, she got motivated for this song by watching sports highlights of the Kansas City Royals baseball team and an interview with legendary Royal uh, George Brett. <laughs> and that gave her the idea for this song. You'd have never known that unless the author told you, right? Your baseball fan, you know who George Brett is, Hall of Famer. Inspired this very poppy, cultural, iconic song. And then finally, one that we all know about, we all know the meaning of. Play that, play that last one for, for him, Josh. Who let the dogs out? You know this one? Who let the dogs out? 
you ever been to a Mariners game? Okay. Okay, go ahead and cut it. That's about as good as it gets. There's <laughs> not a lot. Turns out this song has nothing to do with real dogs or letting them run free. It's actually a fem- feminist manifesto against catcalling in the clubs. That's what the song's about. You'd have never known that. It's typically not used in that setting. And so, I have no idea how long that just took, but it's important. Now we all understand that we don't understand how every song was intended to be heard, read, or understood. And in fact, most songs have sort of double meaning. And it's actually okay to understand them in the first simpler sense, and then to come along later and realize, oh, this is about something much more I'm going to listen much closer now. I'm going to look carefully at the words and then realize there's more to this song than I originally thought. There's nothing wrong with that. And that's exactly what we have in Psalm 22 here today. So let's just like look at a couple of the lines here. My God, my God, verse 1. Why have you abandoned me? If you're reading in other translations, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from my deliverance and from my words of groaning? God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I have no rest. He goes on to say, I'm a worm, not a man. Verse 6. He says, don't be far from me. Verse 11. He says, many bulls surround me, strong ones from Bashan. That's verse 12. And this isn't actually referring to an actual situation A bull from Bashan was just northeast of the Sea of Galilee in the very fertile part of the country. So what he's saying is, like those bulls up there, those cows, those fat and happy, strong bulls, whoever those are, but he's just saying, the strongest of bulls encircle me, they're around me, they open their mouth against me, lions mauling and roaring, and I am poured out like water, my bones are disjointed, my heart is like wax melting within me. My strength is dried up like baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You put me into the dust of the dirt, for dogs have surrounded me. A bit like that last song. Not happy dogs. The worst kind of dog. What does he say then? They pierced my hands, my feet. I count all my bones because they stare at me. I'm so emaciated that you can see my bones coming through my skin. The people stare at me. They divide my garments among themselves. They cast lots for my clothing. But you, Lord, don't be far from me. My strength, come quickly to help me. Rescue my life from the sword, my only life from the power of these dogs. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of wild oxen. Elsewhere in the New Testament, the devil himself is referred to by Peter as a lion. So this is, this is dark. This is about as bad as it gets. And it probably reminds you a bit of a psalm I preached on two weeks ago, Psalm 69, about the mud and the despair and how the life of the Christian, the life of the person of God is one of lament. That we don't need to shy away from that. That the psalms give us uh, words of how we express our personal anguish. So, so the first half of the psalm, The psalm's really broken into two parts. One is 1 through 21, 
And this is all about anguish and loneliness, brokenness, oppression, hopelessness, distance from God. He's so far from Him. Then the second half of the psalm is about hope, the nearness of God, vindication, victory, celebration, community. Let's look at that. You answered me, he says. I proclaimed your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you in the assembly. I've got community again. I was so isolated. Now I'm back. I'm praising your name. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. And you descendants of Israel, revere him. He goes on to say, I will give praise, verse 25, in the assembly, the great assembly because of you. I will fulfill my vows. The humble will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise. May your heart live May your hearts live forever. Look at verse 27. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of all the nations will bow down before you. Your kingship, or for kingship, belongs to Yahweh. That's the word for the Lord here. He rules the nations. All who prosper on earth will eat and bow down. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. What is he saying? All peoples. Whether you're rich or poor, all will come and bow before the king. Their descendants will serve him. The next generation will be told about the Lord. And then verse 31, they will come and declare his righteousness to a people yet to be born. They will declare what he has done. So you have these two parts. And so on one level, this psalm is about what we've talked about before. How a life with God is filled with ups and downs, with anguish and vindication, with sorrow and celebration. It's both and. And you could read that. And and a thousand years, the people of Israel read this psalm this way. Jesus, this was his songbook. He knew this psalm. He read it this way. Okay. Now let me read you a couple more passages from the New Testament. So you can turn with me if you want, or you can just listen. Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. Um, Hey, Ryan, could you grab me some water or my coffee right there? Um, Matthew 27. So we're going to bounce around to a couple different passages here. Thank you, sir. It's a good man right here. <clears throat> um, look at, I'm going to start reading in verse 27. So it's okay, we're not going to put this on the screen, so if you're not there, that's okay. Just listen very, very closely. Listen very closely. <clears throat> then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the governor's residence, gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him, dressed him in a scarlet robe. They twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, placed a staff in his right hand, and they knelt down before him and mocked him, saying, quote, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him, took the staff, kept hitting him on the head. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put on his own clothes, and led him away to be crucified. As they were going out, they found... Actually, I'm going to jump ahead here. 
Well, no, I'm going to read the whole thing. As they were going out, they found a, Cyrene, a, a Cyrenian man named Simon. They forced him to carry his, uh, his cross. That's Jesus' cross. When they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the school, they gave him, that's Jesus, wine mixed with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. Why? This was a sedative that they would give to those they were crucifying uh, to diminish the pain. One act of mercy in the cruelest form of punishment an execution one could experience. But Jesus said, no, I want to feel the fullness of what's about to happen. Verse 35, after crucifying Jesus, they divided his clothes by casting lots. Then they sat down and were guarding him there. Above his head, they put up the charge against him in writing, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then two criminals were crucified with him, one on his right, one on his left, Those who passed by were yelling insults at Jesus, shaking their head and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders mocked Jesus and said, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and then we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now. If he takes pleasure in him, for he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, even the criminals who were crucified with him taunted him. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the whole land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Turn over to John chapter 19. Just a few books over. The fourth gospel, Matthew being the first. John 19, verse 23 says this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They took his tunic which was seamless, woven into one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, quote, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did. The soldiers had no idea that they were fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 22. We wouldn't have known it. (laughs) But God's telling us. The truer author of Psalm 22 is revealing the song that he wrote a thousand years earlier. Yes, it's about the sorrow and the pain of life in this world, even life with God, that at times he feels far from you, at other times he feels close to you. But the truer meaning is this is a psalm about my son, the suffering servant who will give his life as a ransom many. Now, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's going to be like two pages over in your Bible. Acts chapter 1. So Acts is the first book after the Gospels, and and it records for us the beginning of the Jesus movement, okay? So the first things that happened after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. It says this, chapter 1, verse 3. After 
he, that's Jesus, had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Just talking about the resurrection of Jesus. While he was with them, that's Jesus was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in just a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the periods of the Father that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. Here's the important point here. Where? In Jerusalem? In Judea and Samaria? So that's around Jerusalem? And to the end of the earth? Okay, flip back with me now to Matthew 28. So back to Matthew are you tracking with me? So Jesus is now risen from the dead and he's instructing his disciples that you're going to get the Holy Spirit and then this is what you're going to do. Take my message, take the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. We see this reiterated here in Matthew 28. This is the Great Commission, if you're familiar with this passage. Jesus came near and said to them, this is verse 18. He came near and said to them, quote, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded to you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay? You, you, you're hearing this theme here. Um, now, turn with me to Luke 24, 51. So Luke's the third gospel. So Luke 24, a few pages over. I'm getting a Bible workout today, which is good. These are new Bibles. Okay. Luke 24, verse is 51. Okay. And while he was blessing them, so we're still on this mountaintop where he's telling his disciples and he's giving them the great, the great commission. While he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. This is known as the ascension. Jesus is still alive, but now he's in the heavenly realm, sitting at the right hand of God the Father. After worshiping him, they're worshiping him now. They've seen what he's done. They've seen him suffer. They've seen him die. They've seen him rise from the grave. And now they worship him. And then they return to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. Now, does this sound familiar to a song you've heard before? Maybe a song that you've been singing your whole life for Jesus' followers. A song that now Jesus references the very first verse of in his final words before he dies. He's on the cross. He's about to breathe his last. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? What is Jesus doing? He's saying... That song, that song you've always sung, that's ultimately about me. And it's not just the first verse, but as you see through the other readings, the whole thing is about Jesus. And the disciples got that. 
which is why they make sure to reference and quote from Psalm 22. Jesus was saying he is the suffering servant of Psalm 22. That song was about me. Yes, it was about King David and the struggles and the trials he went through and that God ultimately saved him and answered his prayers. That's one meaning. But the truer, the fuller meaning is that that psalm was a prophecy, a prediction of one coming who would not just have his kingship restored and some of, some of his enemies removed, but that at one point, in one time, look at, if you're back in Psalm 22 now, verse 27, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. Well, we're about as far as you can get on the planet from Jerusalem, which is to say it worked. That people everywhere and all nations are now praising and worshiping this King Jesus. So Psalm 22, there's a reason it's quoted so often in the New Testament. They're saying this was a prophecy about the coming king who would take the kingdom outside of Israel and all peoples now had a chance to be a part of this new kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus. So that's Psalm 22. And it's a really cool picture into how God works, how he's writing a song that we at times only understand part of, but as further revelation comes along, we realize, oh my gosh, this is about so much more. And those who didn't, uh, weren't attuned to the word of God, that's part of why they missed that Jesus was actually the Messiah, the one that God sent to save his people. They, they, they didn't know their Bibles. They didn't realize this is how God works. So I'm going to give you three implications of this misunderstanding and further revelation of the song. What are the implications? Why is this important? Why is this important? And the first is that. If you miss the fact that God has been saying from the very beginning that this life, even the life of the Messiah, will be a life of despair, death, agony, suffering, pain, and hope, vindication, victory, and celebration. If you don't see that God's been telling us that from the beginning, you're going to miss the Messiah. You're going to miss Jesus. He's, it's going to feel weird for you to worship him. And then when you're in a dark place, when God feels far from you, when you don't feel like um, that, that God could exist and yet you could be going through this, you're going to turn from him. Because you haven't read Psalm 22, and you haven't read the Gospels, and you don't realize that if God would put his own son through this, then why should I expect him to put me through anything less? So this is the way of God. This is the life of the Christian. This is the life of Jesus' people. It's got part one, verses one through 22, and it's got part two, verses 22 to 31. Both are a part of the Christian life. And the beauty is, Whatever part of life that you're in, whether you're in the dying or in the thriving, whether you're in the suffering or you're in the celebration, whether you're in the poor or you're in the rich season, whether you're in the oppressed season or the free season, whether you're in the first part of Psalm 22 or the second part of Psalm 22, God is with you. He might not always feel near to you, just like Jesus says, why have you abandoned me? You see, Jesus, when he took on our sin, was taken away from the presence of God for the first time in eternity. 
not just in his life, but in eternity. So that farness, because sin separates us from God, Jesus experienced that. He experienced, the second person of the Trinity experienced ultimate separation. So he was not just quoting Psalm 22. He's also saying, this is the reality I feel right now. God feels so far from me. So he knows that. God's experienced that. But he's also experienced the resurrection, the vindication, God coming back and feeling his presence again because sin, death, and the devil have been conquered by the cross. So really, Psalm 22 is really first half his cross, second half his resurrection. And as his people, we are people of the cross and we're people of the resurrection. Both are true. In everyone's life, at every moment, both can be true. And it doesn't mean that God has left you. It means that something is separating you from him. Sometimes it's your own sin. You need to like check yourself and, and ask the question, is there something in my life? Am I living into something that's separating me from God? And the longer you walked with God, the more clear those things will be, those things that separate you from him. But it's not necessarily your own sin. It could be the sin of someone else. It could be the dogs that encircle you. The ridicule, the mock, the slander that you experience from those who do not want your good, that do not want your thriving, that can block the feeling of God. It could also be spiritual forces of darkness that Jesus conquered on the cross, but were very much there, thinking that they had removed God the Son from God the Father. But what is true? They don't know. <laughs> they don't know the song that they're in. They don't actually know what's going on. Just like sometimes we don't know what's going on. But God has not left us. He always does. As the second half of verse 21 says. Answer us. So that's the first implication. That Christ is in the highs and the lows. Christ is in the first half of Psalm 22. He's in the second half. Okay. The second implication is this. Um, actually, before I go there, just, just to... Just to to show you this. Um, Ryan, do you have Romans 14 up there? So in Romans 14, Psalm 22, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing a letter to the church in Rome. He writes this, uh, and I just want to point something out to you. Uh, he's actually going to quote here Psalm 22 again. And so I was looking at this, and I was thinking to myself, oh, this is interesting, that, that uh, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 22, and what he's quoting is actually a reference to um, this idea that everyone will stand and bow their knee before God in the end. So this is really a passage about uh, judgment. So let me just read it to you. It says, If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that, we might be, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. But you, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we, are all, we all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, here's Psalm 22, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will give me praise to God. So then, each of us will give an account of God to himself. But there's something in that passage that, um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, this, 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 is, this is something to highlight in your Bible. Like, if you don't own a Bible, take one of these black Bibles, take it home. It's a gift from us to you. Highlight this. Underline this. 
Uh, verse 9 says, Christ died and returned to life for this. So <laughs> you want to know why Christ died and returned to life? Underline this passage. I saw this, I was like, I don't know this passage. I don't remember seeing that. This isn't clear. Paul's saying, I'm going to tell you why Christ died and then returned to life. That he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. You see this? This is a beautiful passage. So why did he have to go to the cross? Why, why did he have to rise from the dead? Why couldn't he just take in his kingdom back? Because, Paul says, God says through Paul, Christ is Lord of those who are dying and those who are living. As we've said, those who are suffering and those who are thriving. God is the God of both. Christ is the God of both. We talked in the Exodus series about he is the high priest. He is the God of the dead and the living, which is to say he's God over all. There is no experience in this world that you cannot connect with Christ because he has chosen to connect with every experience, even the dying of this life. So that's a beautiful passage that illustrates this idea that Christ is, Psalm 22, the dying part and the living part, the cross part and the resurrection part, and so we can find him in every moment. So that brings us to implication number two, which is this. Therefore, since he's the God of the living and the dying, every song ever written is ultimately about Jesus. Now, it's also about something else. And when most of the authors write about it, they think they're writing about something else. But what are they actually writing about? And they may never know it in their lifetime. They're actually expressing the desire, the angst, the longing for what only Christ can do. So you write a love song? Yes, it's about my love for that girl in that season of life, but it's also about my longing to be loved by God. Now, I might not know it, but Jesus says, really, everything is about me. He is the explanation of all of our longing, of all of our desire. He's the God of the dying and the living. Songs of lament, sad songs, are really about Jesus. Happy songs are really about Jesus and everything in between. You say, like, I don't know about that, Dave. Trust me. Every part of us that is unfulfilled. So, like, if you know anything about poets, like, when do they write their best songs? When they're sad. <laughs> when they've just gotten dumped. <laughs> it's when they go, oh, i got to go write this down. Right? It's always when the reality of this world is most pressing. When they feel the disconnect and the brokenness in the first half of Psalm 22, that's when the best songs are usually written. Artists, poets, they, they really are speaking from a, rea a realization, an acknowledgement of the deep brokenness and the longing for something more. And that longing is only found ultimately and eternally in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So every song, just like Psalm 22, is also ultimately about God and his son Jesus. We pray and we hope that everybody realizes that. Which brings me to my third implication. And that is this. You are a song. You're a song. Everything unique, 
strange. It's a part of your melody. It's part of the lyrics that God wrote into your DNA. You are a song. And until you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you come to realize it's true, you will always sort of be a misunderstood song. But once you learn about this Christ, this God who came to save you, to give his life for you, to pay the ransom for your sin on the cross, till that moment, you don't even realize whose song you are. And then you do. And then Christ says, you're my song. I'm taking ownership of you. I understand you. I give you your fuller meaning. I unlock you to the world to accomplish everything that you as a song were meant to sing. This is the good news of the gospel. So if you feel like you're a song and nobody quite gets you, if you feel like you've got like untapped potential, that you've got more to give to the world, more to give in your relationships and your friendships and your marriage, if you feel like it's not quite there, you've got to remember only when you give yourself back to, your, to, to the true author will you come fully alive. And Christ says, no, that, you're a song about me, actually. Like, Dave, you, you're a song about me, Jesus said. And I'm going to play you in the way you're meant to be played because I'm the one who wrote you. I'm the only one that knows how these notes fit together, how these lyrics are meant to be sung, the highs and the lows, the depression and the celebration. All that you are, Dave, I wrote you, you're mine, and I'm reclaiming you so that you might sing as you were meant to sing to the world. Every song, and you are a song, is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. He's claiming you again. Maybe you've never allowed him to reclaim you. And you always feel like something's not quite right. The world isn't quite getting the best version of this song. What you've got to do is you've got to let Christ bring you home. Bring you back into the band so that he can play you for the world. Isn't that beautiful? You think about yourself that way, that you're a song? I hope you do. I mean, one of the things I love is everyone, everyone's unique melody. Everyone's got that different tenor, that different pace, that different rhythm. Everyone's unique, and it's so fun to get to know people. And then when you realize that they're actually one of Jesus' songs that he's singing in the world about his glory, about who he really is, that's even more spectacular that it's all part of one giant orchestra and one symphony that God's playing for the world to hear of his love, his grace, his goodness, his power, and his mercy. It's beautiful. Let yourself be a part of that. Don't hold on to yourself. Give it back to Jesus. He's the author.